Thank you for listening to a River Life Fellowship podcast. We're a church family in North Carolina with a vision for people to experience the grace of Jesus, be filled with the Father's love, and to release the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's this week's message from Mooresville. Um, I was thinking during worship, I was thinking to myself, ah, preaching, yes. How could this possibly be a good idea? To get up and tell somebody something that they already know. You know, it's, it's, it's fraught with all kinds of issues. And, and I was thinking to myself, I can barely keep any of my thoughts in order ever at any point in time. I feel like my whole life is just kind of like grasping for my thoughts to make some sense of them. And, and I just said to the Lord, this can't possibly be a good idea. And um, one thing the Lord has been speaking to me lately is that the things that you think are a design flaw are really a design feature. So the way that you think, the body that you're in, the life that you have, you know, there's, there's issues woven in. There's all kinds of stuff that we have to contend with and through. But all of these weaknesses are not given to us to hinder us. They're actually given to us because this is how God reveals his glory in the earth. Thank you, Brianna. If you got one true fan in your life and her name is Brianna, then you have all that you need. So my message today is called, Whatever the Circumstances. Whatever the Circumstances. This, this is really a, a, a passage that you know well. It's an idea that you know well, but you probably haven't heard it from me yet. So it's going to be better than you ever thought. <laughs> so if you have your Bible, Philippians 4, 10 through 13. I'm in the nearly inspired version in IV. I like it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in wants. I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength." Such a good passage, isn't it? I'm always saying this thing to the Lord. Lord, Lord I, I've, I've, I've worked out the whole how to be in need part. Test me with the plenty part, Lord. Anybody else prayed that before? Test me, Lord. I won't fail you, Lord. Whatever the circumstance. Paul is telling us that he has learned the secret of being content even when circumstances are whatever, whatever. Now, we prayed for healing this morning. And I, I'm 50 years old now. I, I feel like the next 50 years of my life, I'm just gonna spend the better part of my life doing supernatural ministry. Praying for the sick, prophesying, speaking in tongues, walking on water, all of the things that Christians are supposed to do, right? And in order to do those things, there's an element of faith that goes along with those things. But 
not to diminish the ministry of healing or to diminish all these other things that we're actually called to. But there's, there's another layer of faith that we need in order to thrive in this life. And it's the faith to be content, whatever the circumstances. Because sometimes you'll go to walk on top of the water and you'll fall right through. Sometimes you'll go to pray for the sick and they're not healed. Sometimes your life is in a state that you don't recognize and maybe you would like it to change, but there's no discernible change in the near future. And you have to know how to not stop living before the breakthrough comes. So Paul says, I have learned how to thrive no matter what is going on. I have learned how to not be anxious no matter the situation. I have learned how to have breakthrough before the breakthrough breaks through. It's, it doesn't negate the prayer of healing. It doesn't negate prophecy. It doesn't, it doesn't negate any of these supernatural things that we're a part of. It's part of our inheritance, right? It's our part, part of our legacy of being in Christ, being followers of Christ. We get all these benefits. I don't want to live in a place where people aren't laying hands on each other for prayer. But there's this other piece that has to go alongside with that. And so I have learned how to live in breakthrough before the breakthrough breaks through. Whatever the circumstances. How did Paul become a person who was content, whatever the circumstances? So one thing that Amy and I do on a fairly regular basis is we take inventory of our lives. Anybody else do this? You get with your spouse or somebody else and you're, you're making sense of your life. So sometimes we go for a long drive or we, we take a hike and we just have this talk about what's going on in our lives. We take an inventory of the whatever, right? Inventory of our circumstances. The reason why we do this is because we're trying to assess whether we should be freaking out or not. Yeah? You know what I'm talking about, right? It's like you... You can tell there's trouble in your life, but you're not quite sure what exactly is going on. So you make a list of all the sorrows and trials and tribulations and issues and things like that. And then, um, then you go, oh, no, we're doomed, right? So one thing that we've been saying to each other when we've been taking an assessment and inventory of our lives is that it has felt recently like we've been living in the belly of a whale. That's kind of the phrase that we've been using. Not just for the past year of our life, but probably for the past 10 years of our life. Um, and I, I do want to give Amy credit for this because she's the one who came up with this. And this revelation that I'm about to share with you, it's all her. So, um, you know... If you're going to steal from somebody, you got to let people know, right? So we've, we've been in the belly of the whale, and it's not something that you plan for. It's not something that you can create contingencies for if it happens. And the thing about being in the belly of a whale is that you don't even necessarily know 
that it's happened when it's happened. You get swallowed, but you have no idea what is going on. You start rebuking the devil. You start praying to God to get you out of this mess. But God will not save you from that which he gave you. You know, in the middle of the last 10 years of my life, like five years into it, I was pretty sure I was done. I mean, like I could do no more of the belly of the whale thing, Lord. It's time to get me out. It's time to save me from this thing that you gave me. But when you're in the thing that God gave you, sometimes it's really hard to tell that he is the author of this thing. And you can waste a lot of energy staying up all night rebuking the devil, praying to God, and God just saying, I'm not going to save you from the thing that I gave you. It's called training for raining, baby. Training for raining. You get swallowed, but you don't know what's going on. What is it about living in the belly of the whale that makes life so hard? Well, first of all, it's dark. It's, it's, it's pitch black. Have you ever had a season in your life where you literally could not see anywhere? Like the only dynamic of your life was blindness. It was so dark you couldn't even see the dark, because it was that dark. You can't see anything. You can't see where you're going. You can't see where you've been. You have no way to determine your course. When you're in that place where there's no answers in front of you and no answers behind you and all the well-meaning Christians around you are saying, you just have to find the answer. You haven't got the answer right yet. You haven't prayed the prayer right yet. You haven't stood on your head right and rebuked the devil enough. That's why you're still in darkness. And the whole time, God is just training you for raining. But you can't see it. You can't feel it. All you see is darkness because you're in the belly of the whale. In the belly of the whale, all of the spiritual techniques that you've amassed will not work. All of the tools in your toolkit, all of the guns in your holsters, none of them will penetrate through what God has brought you into. In the belly of the whale, you cannot decree and declare your way out of it. I decree and declare my way out of this whale. Doesn't work. The other thing about living in the digestive track of a whale, it stinks. When you're in the belly of the whale, when you're in that dark season, it gets on you. It gets on you and you've, you've got some of that residual stuff inside that place on top of you. And you can't figure out why people are kind of like doing this to you. 
Amy and I have a really beautiful group of friends who have walked with us through our lives. And, and uh, maybe, maybe a few years into what I would say was our belly of the whale decade, I was pretty certain that we were just wearing our friend's house, our friends out from complaining all the time. Hey, how are you guys doing? Terrible. What's going on in your life? Nothing but darkness. <laughs> what can I pray for you? Pray that I get a new life. <laughs> and every time they want to get out to dinner with you, all you can do is complain. All you can do is talk about how dark everything is. This is why you have to have faithful friends in your life. Because your faithful friends will go long distances with you smelling like whale junk. You got to have people in your life who have that supernatural faith to walk with you when you're not doing well. So when you're in the whatever the circumstance piece and you haven't figured out anything in your life, you got to have people that can carry you. So the stench that's in the belly of the whale, listen, it's unavoidable. It's okay. Y'all aren't doing something wrong. You're not doing anything wrong. It's, it's just part of the deal. Sometimes your circumstances are going to get on you. And that's okay. I may smell like the belly of a whale, but I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. So there's, there are two kinds of problems in your life. All right, you ready for this? The kind you cause and the kind that just happened. Those are the two, those are the two issues that we all have. These are the problems that we're all facing. They're the kind that we cause And there's some things that we can do about those. But then there's this other category where it's like these things just happen because you're a human being on planet Earth. You are not the cause of every problem in your life. Sometimes we are just people who are caught between a rock and a hard place. Sometimes we are just people caught up in the unfolding drama of the human experience. Sometimes we're just people caught up in the unfolding story of God on planet Earth. And that story includes whatever the circumstances. So you have to be careful that in your mind, you're not telling yourself that everything is going wrong for you just because everything is going wrong for you. Sometimes you're just in the flow of what the Spirit of God is doing in the earth. And when God starts doing things, when God starts moving, when the Holy Spirit starts churning things up, things happen. Good things and bad things. And that's why Paul's like, I know the secret to being content. Whatever the circumstances, there's something that's going to always be going on in the world, there's a turmoil, there's a dynamic that's always changing, but I know how to remain content. I heard Randall Worley say one time about transition. He was talking about how people always say, I'm a season of transition. 
But what he noticed was is that we're all always in transition all of the time. We're just going from one change to the next. And for some reason, we've got this idea that we're really going to be happy once things stay static. Once we get to that place in our lives where everything is normal. Isn't that funny? Because we've never really had a normal season in our lives that we actually think that. That that's our expectation. That's the great expectation that's, that's living within us. That someday we're going to land this thing and everything's going to make sense. God's going to make sense. All my friends are going to be nice. My kids are going to be well-behaved. I'm going to have a job. My bills are paid. Everything's going to be normal. Hey, that's called heaven. <laughs> that's called heaven. <laughs> Amen. So whether you've got problems in your life that you caused or you've got problems in your life that are just there, it doesn't matter. Because either way, we have access to the power and strength of God so we can thrive. So I keep saying this thing to myself is that there's a Christian superpower that we all have. And this is going to sound a little weird. But the thing that I keep saying is that we have the power of resignation. We We can take anything that comes our way because we know how to be content whatever the circumstance. Like nothing can shake us no matter what news comes down the pike. No matter what experience comes towards us, there's this inner thing, this resurrection power on the inside of us The force of Christ that's on the inside of us is greater than the force that's pressing against us. The ability to be content in whatever circumstance is one of the great benefits of following Jesus. Being content in all circumstances is what faith looks like. Have you ever thought about what faith looked like? It's, it's, it's kind of hard to grasp, isn't it? I was reading the book of Hebrews this week, and there's Hebrews chapter 11. It's, it's the hall of faith. And, and I, I read it, and I still qu- don't quite know what it is. But I recognize it as a force within myself. I know I was during worship today, I was just sitting there and I mean, the praise is loud. The room is rowdy and I can just, man, Lord, this feels like faith to me. This feels like an outer projection, a declaration, a demonstration of this group of people, this motley crew that have come together to add their faith together in an outward demonstration. And, on, and to some people, if they walked into this room, it could just seem like the craziest thing on the planet. But I don't want to live without this. I don't want to live without this dynamic, this great expectation that no matter what happens in our lives, that we have the power of contentedness 
working on the inside of us in such a way that we're standing and singing and praying. And I know all of us have these different stories in our lives right now of difficulty. And yet we put our faith together. We stand to our feet. We raise our hands and we lift our voices. That's faith, y'all. You can't really do that outside of faith. God wants to prove to you that even when the circumstances of your life are empty and dark, you can still be full and light. Paul said, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. This is why God will not save you from that which he gave you. You cannot fully experience the fullness of faith if you don't experience the whatever. Your faith actually can't be exercised without the whatever. So maybe you thought, the world's a mess. The world is messy. My life is a mess. My life is messy. Something's wrong. But really, that's the design feature that God brought you into to show you, to prove to you that the faith that dwells on the inside of you is a much greater match than your life. You can't learn to be content without some discontent in your circumstances. Paul was a very, very practical person. He was very spiritual, but he was also very practical. He liked connecting dots for people. He wasn't keeping the secret of his contentment to himself. He knew how to always be content because he knew that circumstances were not the reason for his rejoicing. Circumstances were not the reason why he would stand up in church at River Life on Sunday mornings and sing. Let's read Philippians 4, 4 through 9, going backwards just a little bit from that, that earlier passage we read. Rejoice in the Lord always. Man, we could just stop there and just stew on that for the rest of the day. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every, every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which trans, transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So this is, this is a legitimate A to B connect. He's like, if you want to know how to be content, uh, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, put these things in pr- practice And the God of peace will be with you. How is the God of peace with you? By putting the things that Paul said to put into practice into practice. What did he say to put into practice? Rejoice in the Lord always. 
There's a direct correlation to the feeling of peace that you have in your life with your ability to practice your faith by rejoicing in the Lord always. I mean, it's one, two, three, four, five. Rejoice in the Lord always. Do not be anxious about anything. In every situation, present your request to God with thanksgiving, and God's peace will guard your heart and mind. Now, the truth be told, and, and I'm just talking from my flesh here for a second, but people who do this are totally annoying to me. I, I, I more relate to people who are anxious about everything. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? I more relate with people who complain loudly. If you know me, I am a loud complainer. <laughs> I, I do not relate with people who are perpetually positive, who are eternally optimistic. I'm more of the Debbie Downer club, you know, like um, Dolly Parton said, if you don't have anything nice to say, come sit down by me and say it. Like, that's how I feel. Like, but I, I'm being funny, but I, I want to say this, that Optimism and faith are not the same thing. So when I'm talking about faith and that, that fourth force of faith that resides on the inside of you, what I'm not talking about is you having a positive attitude and you just being optimistic all the time. It may include that, but you can very much um, tell the truth about your story which could be dark, hard to see, and messy, and you can still be faithful in your faith. Having a positive attitude is not the same thing as having faith. Optimism, optimism is just a vague hope that things are going to turn out better eventually with time. Faith is the persuasion that even though nothing seems right, all things will be made beautiful in God's time. That's the difference. Optimism is just like this, oh, everything will work out fine in the end, hopefully. That's being optimistic. Faith is the persuasion that even though nothing seems right, All things will be made beautiful in God's time. So there's an Old Testament story. It's probably my favorite story in the Old Testament last few years. But it's about whatever the circumstances. And the circumstances of the story are actually really bitter and they're really hard. The story is gritty and the loss is tragic. And the majority of the tragedy happens to a woman by the name of Naomi. You know the story, all right? It's the book of Ruth. So Naomi had a whatever the circumstance happened to her, and she had an honest testimony. Naomi had an honest testimony about who God was to her in her life, And how he had been relating to her. 
So it's unfair of us if we read the book of Ruth and we just chalk Naomi's grief up to some plot points in an ancient story that just get us to the redemptive end. You know, sometimes we do that when we're reading the Bible. We kind of skip over the details and we, it, it's hindsight, 2020, that kind of thing. We're just, we read these things and, and, the, and the tragedy of the stories, we don't let them penetrate our hearts for some reason. I don't know. Maybe it's just that we don't like to be sad or something. I don't know. But like, if you have spent any time with the Bible, it's, it's kind of rough. It, some people might say the Bible's a negative confession. I don't know. Like, there's just a lot of rated R stuff going on in the Bible, you know? But for Naomi, she was a real person in real time, and this is what she went through. She went through famine in the land of Judah, where she was from, where they, she and her family were on the verge or probably experiencing starvation. She and her husband went to Moab, they, they, they left Judah, went to Moab, where they remained exiled there. <clears throat> and then she lost her husband. And then she lost her first son. And then she lost her second son. And this woman named Naomi, she finds herself a widow in a strange land with no family ties. And she was at the very bottom, the very bottom of the societal barrel. There's actually no place lower than that you could go to have your husband die and your sons die. These were your caretakers. There was not really another way for a woman to make a living in those times. And to be a widow in a strange land apart from your people with nothing but a couple of former daughters-in-laws with you. That is being at the end of your rope, y'all. It actually doesn't get worse than that. So she says to her daughters-in-law, you, you all need to go back to your people. Why would you come with me? The Lord's hand has turned against me. Now, the facts are that in a way, she is telling the truth. I mean, I promise you, if your husband dies and both your sons die, you're probably going to have a hard time finding out how to be content in that moment. If you were to read Philippians 4 in that moment, it might be a little hard for you to swallow. This was Naomi's testimony to Ruth. This is what she said. The Lord's hand has turned against me. But the Bible says that Ruth clung to her. There was a testimony going on. The Lord's hand has turned against me and Ruth clung to her all the more. Ruth said, don't urge me to leave you. Your God will be my God. Naomi said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. 
I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me and the Almighty has brought misfortune on me. This was the testimony that Ruth heard, that God was harsh and bitter. It wasn't just that she heard it. She knew what Naomi was telling was true. She knew that she had to escape Judah because of the famine. She knew that her husband had died in a strange land. She knew that both of her sons had died. These were not just words that Ruth was hearing. This was a dark testimony, and she saw the reality of it. And Ruth said this, do not make me go away from you. This is absolutely fascinating that Ruth did not return home to Moab. The only thing she had ever heard or witnessed was that God was the author of Naomi's trouble. It was an accurate testimony. But there was something going on in Ruth that was very much what's going on with Paul in Philippians 4. There was all kinds of dark whatever circumstances going on in Naomi's life. And Ruth's only response to that darkness, that belly of the whale, that thing where there were no answers to any of the problems, she said, your God? Oh, that God's going to be my God. This God that allowed you to be run out of your homeland, that allowed you to experience hunger, that allowed you to experience the passing of your beloved husband, this God who allowed your sons to pass away. Oh, your God? Your God's going to be my God. Your people are going to be my people. What kind of faith must exist in a person to hear that kind of testimony and have that be their response? The kind of faith that's the secret of being content in whatever the circumstances. Naomi had a bitter testimony, but Ruth had ears that heard something else. She, she interpreted Naomi's testimony differently than Naomi did. And even though she saw the reality of Naomi's life and she heard Naomi's testimony of that reality, she stayed. Ruth stayed. Ruth stayed with Naomi. Ruth stayed with the Lord. Because she realized that there was something greater at stake than just the details. Those all important details that have real ramifications in our lives. But those details in an eternal sense are just momentary afflictions. And God's working on something bigger and better all of the time. So your life with the spirit of the Lord, you're confused 
You don't know what's going on. There's darkness in front of you. You can't see. You can't hear. You can barely speak. You are exactly in the move of the Spirit. That is exactly when God is doing his greatest work. Is when we can't assess the situation accurately. And we have the Spirit of God dwelling on the inside of us that will allow us to be in these different circumstances with one another. And we can see you walking through that thing, 10 years of darkness, and your friends come up alongside you and say, oh my gosh, your God will be my God. I see you losing big. Your God's gonna be my God. I see you losing your job. I see you losing everything. Oh man, your people are going to be my people. I see you losing a husband. I'm going to worship the God who would allow that. That is an audacious kind of faith, y'all. That's the kind of faith that none of the forces of this world can stand against. Guys, we live in a moment where men's hearts are literally failing them for fear. Failing. I mean, if you read the statistics on mental health stuff going on, anxiety is at all-time highs. And, And there's another interesting thing that's going on right now is that faith, active faith, faith that's demonstrative is being openly mocked. And the reason why it is so fun for the enemy to make fun of demonstrations of of faith is because it's the only thing he's afraid of. So, y'all, I'm kind of committed to radical expressions of faith at this point in my life. I'm not giving up on speaking in tongues. I'm not giving up on prophecy. I'm not giving up on praying for the sick. I'm not giving up on singing loudly. You know, I know to some people, this is just like an ancillary, auxiliary kind of hobby that we do. No, this is my life. This is our life. We're doing this because there, there are no other options. There's no other legitimate options where contentedness, that feeling of the peace of God that passes all understanding, there's only one way to get that. It's to rejoice in the Lord always. When you're in the belly of that whale, when nothing in your life is making sense, that is your moment. That is your moment to exercise your faith. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice Are you with me this morning? Famine, loss of home, strangers in a strange land, loses husband, loses one son, then loses another son. Naomi's interpretation of God's non-intervention became her testimony. So Naomi did what Amy and I did. 
She took inventory of her circumstances. She made a list. You have to be careful when you're making a list of the circumstances of your life that you don't come to the wrong conclusion. You may be being preemptive in your conclusion. If you make the conclusion about how your life is going to turn out in the middle of the story, you might not get to the best part. You cannot make an assessment about the non-intervention of God in your life and say he does not intervene. He could just not be at the right part of the story. Naomi's interpretation of God's non-intervention became her testimony. The Lord's hand has turned against me. The Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. The Lord has afflicted afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Don't call me Naomi. Call me bitter. Now, in all fairness to Naomi, this is exactly, exactly how I would respond. I would definitely write an Instagram post about this. All, all of this stuff that she's just gone through, I would write a book about it. I would sell it. I don't care. I'm just, this is what I would do. But how Naomi interpreted the lack of miracles in her life, well, it's exactly how I would have interpreted it. But here's the thing. One of the main themes of God's story is that when it seems like God is doing absolutely nothing, is when he is doing absolutely everything. So we must be careful not to make conclusions about our lives too soon. You know, when you don't know what to say, maybe it's okay to say, God has dealt with me bitterly. But maybe it's just better to not say anything at all. I mean, I'm a grace guy, so I'm real big on people being honest with their feelings. And I feel like too many people just sweep all their junk under a rug and they don't get get the stuff out that they need to get out. But I know me, maybe I over-process. Maybe I over talk about all the stuff that's going on. And maybe sometimes I just need to be quiet and say, God's not through with me yet. God's not through with this story yet. Because even if I've been in the belly of the whale for 10 years, I know for a fact that I'm not staying down there for forever. I'm definitely going to get spit out on the shores of Nineveh, and I'm going to go do my thing. I'm going to get to the place where God meant for me to be all along. God is getting you where he wants you. You actually can't fight that. I mean, you can fight it, but it's futile. There's a call on my life. There's a call on your life. There's there's things that God wants to do in and through you. And there's these things that we're we're wrestling with God through him, and he's dealing with us. You know, sometimes sometimes we have to go into the belly of the whale because God's trying to transform the inside of us. You know, he's, he's not trying to leave us. Um, how can I put this politely? I mean, he, he, he doesn't want us to be jerks. 
He doesn't want us to be rebellious. He doesn't want us to be insensitive. He doesn't want us to be mockers. He doesn't want us to be, you know, all of the things that we can turn into when we get injured in this life. God wants to work that stuff out of us. And sometimes the only way he can get our attention is to allow things to happen that do not make sense. We have to be careful not to judge the lack of miracles in our lives because how we interpret the lack of miracles in our lives has a direct correlation to the tenderness of our hearts. Let me say that a different way, maybe. Sometimes we had a hope that God would come through a certain way. And the way that he came through was not the way we had planned or imagined. And sometimes what can happen is we put the Lord at arm's length after that. We don't receive things as they come. We resist God. And we build walls around our hearts. Because we, we, we say to ourselves, God can't protect me, so I'm going to protect myself. God can't help me, so I'm going to help myself. And I'll say this. I know for me that the harder my heart gets, the less capacity for faith I have. And the less capacity for faith I have, the less contentedness I experience in my my heart. When I'm hard-hearted, when I'm kind of operating in like the baser instincts of my existence, I remain untender and my, my faith remains, well, it's not that it's smaller or bigger, it's that I stop being aware of the faith that I have. It's like I stopped paying attention to the, to the deposit that the Lord already gave me. Does that make sense? How did Ruth's, Ruth experience God's mismanagement of Naomi's life? Well, first of all, we should say that Ruth saw Naomi's life clearly. She knew that Naomi served Yahweh the God of Israel. Ruth knew that famine had driven Naomi into Moab. Ruth had witnessed the lack of provision in Naomi's life. Ruth felt the grief of Naomi losing her husband and sons. Naomi's life was undeniably marked by tragedy, loss, and grief. And by all appearances, Naomi's God did not do what gods are supposed to do. By all appearances, from the outside, Naomi's God did not do what gods are supposed to do. He did not provide. He did not deliver. He did not save. And yet, Ruth interpreted God's non-intervention in an absolute stunning way. Naomi said, God has dealt bitterly with me. Ruth said, your God will be my God. Naomi said, God has afflicted me. Ruth said, your God will be my God and your people will be my people. 
people. Naomi said, the Almighty has brought misfortune on me. But Ruth said, wherever you stay, I will stay. And wherever you go, I will go. Who in their right mind would enter the fray of that kind of misfortune and then proclaim that God, the one who seemed to offer nothing but trouble, would be my God. Ruth had eyes to see through the lack of miracles in Naomi's life. Do you have eyes to see through the lack of miracles in your life? I do. I get up every day and I, there's no miracles. I'm like, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that nothing's going my way today. I know I've told you this joke before, but I got to tell it again because it's just so good. The, the scientists, they divide the kids up. They're looking for all the pessimist kids and all the optimist kids that they can. Well, apparently there aren't that many optimist kids in the world because they can only find one optimist kid and they stick him in a room and they stick all the other 99 pessimist kids in another room. The 99 pessimist kids, they got toys galore. They got every toy you can buy. And they're in there, they're opening these presents. Oh, this is no good. This this isn't good. I don't want these. I want something better. I want something else. They had everything they could possibly want, and none of it was good enough. And they took that one lone optimist kid, and they stuck him in a room by himself with a, with a heap of horse manure. And you know what that kid did? He walked around that heap of horse manure. He lifted some pellets, some apples, put his hands in it, smelled it. And he looked at those scientists looking through the mirror. He said, you can't fool me. I know there's a pony in here somewhere. (laughs) That's how I am. I get up in my life every morning and I'm looking at my life. It's just a big old pile of horse manure. I was like, you cannot fool me. I know there's a pony in here somewhere. But that's really what we want to be like, isn't it? We want to be people who even when we hear bad news coming down whatever conduit that exists, whether it's on the news or whether it's in our own lives or wherever, what we're saying is rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. The peace of God that passes all understanding is not dormant. It is alive on the inside of me. And I have the power within me to be content, whatever the circumstance. Ruth had eyes of faith and she could not be persuaded to give up her faith in the Lord. Y'all, and I'm, I'm closing here, but really, outside of love, God's never failing love, faith is the only thing going in the world today. I mean, it really is the key. I, 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 feel, I feel such an urgency within myself to fan the flames of faith in people's lives. No matter what they're going through, you don't wait, you don't wait for your life to be good in order for you to unleash that faith in your life. You do it now. It's really the only thing that you have going for you. There is this 
flood right now in culture of meaninglessness that is raging in this world. And there are so many things that are going to try to talk us out of that peace that passes all understanding. But that's, we're not going to be talked about out of it. We're rejoicing in the Lord always. But I want to, I want to close with this passage from Hebrews, Hebrews 11. You know, Hebrews 11 is really interesting. You should go read it this afternoon. It's, it's very interesting how the writer, the author of Hebrews, starts Hebrews 11, and it's very heroic. There's all this wonderful stuff that goes on. By faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain. By faith, Noah built a big ark. By faith, you know, there's all of these Old Testament heroes that do these massive exploits for God because of the faith that they have. But as that chapter goes on and on, in a way, things get a little dark. They get a little belly of the whaleish. They get a little whatever the circumstances. Because by the end of that chapter, it's by faith they were sawed in two. By faith, they were torn asunder. By faith, they were fed to wild animals. By faith, nothing went well for them in their lives. So when you are looking at your life, trying to figure out what's going on, you can't always compare yourself up against Noah building the ark. Sometimes you got to compare your life to some of those other things on the list in there. You know, if you're comparing yourself to getting sawed in two, you're doing pretty good. I mean, martyrdom's not for everybody. It's definitely not for me. But there are times in this life where we'll have to, like, give up. Give up our actual lives for the Lord. So let me read this to you. This, this gives me a lot of comfort. This, this gives me a lot of comfort because in, in, our, in our tribe, in charismatic Pentecostal circles, we put a lot of emphasis on miracles happening now. And we should always, we should never deviate from that. But passages like this help me make a lot of sense out of when those things don't go the way I thought that they should. It goes like this. All these people died believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised. But they saw it all from a distance and they welcomed it. Sometimes when you're in your situation, when you're in your whatever the circumstance, sometimes this is how you have to be. You have to see things from a distance. And they agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. 
That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. Don't you think that message is what was on the inside of Ruth? She could feel that city on the inside of her. It's, it's, it's the feeling of that city that God is preparing for us that it actually causes us to lay hands on the sick to see them recover. It's the thing that actually pushes us forward in faith to do all the things. We get to do all the things and then we also get to just receive things as they come. Thank you for listening to a River Life Fellowship podcast. To get more information, check out riverlifefellowship.com.